Welcome to the realm of magic and mystery, classic horror and sci-fi. You are now entering the House of the Unusual podcast with your hosts, Eddie and Joe. Welcome all you cool ghouls and friendly fiends to the House of the Unusual podcast. I am your host, Joe Pavlansky. With me, as always, is the maestro of mail-order mysteries, Eddie Guevara. Eddie, what's going on, brother? Nothing much, Joe. Nothing much. Uh, a lot of new excitement. I mean, um, I'm going to be getting a hold of the teller's manager sometime later today. And because uh, they're three hours different. So I'm giving him to like 5, 6 p.m. their time and uh, make arrangements for the teller to come on in our live podcast soon coming up. So I'm actually anxious to see what happens with that and which way it goes. Um, other than that, you know, Joe is like always... Uh, trying to develop new ways and, and improve our website. And I'm actually going to be working on our website in the next maybe week or so to change the whole layout re- to it, a new tour of the collection. Um, so there's quite a few things going on, Joe. It's uh, my hands are overwhelmed. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's always good. Hey, new stuff is always good, man. And if our audience out there is, you know, looking for new stuff too, man, I got a few great sites for you guys to check out. Uh, our buddy Ski over at stupidcomicsmagazine.com and that's stupid spelled S-T-O-O-P-I-D. They have uh, some great uh, comics magazines there. It's kind of like the mixture of Farside, Cracked and Mad all, all kind of rolled into one little comics mag of black and white, just hilarity, man. So I know they're going to be coming out with uh, the next issue, which will be number five. It's supposed to be dropping very soon, and we will let everybody know once that does. But in the meantime, head over there and get issues number zero through five. They have a great deal for all the issues, 17 bucks plus shipping. And, uh, you know, we all of us on here, we've all got a me, Eddie. Um, I believe Chuck got them, and I know Sea Monkey Todd got them as well. And we haven't been disappointed. They've been absolutely fantastic. So definitely – Check them out. Our buddy Dave Haversat, he's got a great website, 1878press.com, 1878press.com. Tons of great books over there. A lot of them are on sale. Some of them are actually sold out. So you got to hurry up and get there. He's got some stuff on magic, mentalism, uh, psychics, um, magicians, Houdini, all kinds of different stuff in that, uh, that kind of realm. So definitely want to go ahead and check him out over there on his site. Also, if you're looking for some Sea Monkey stuff or you want to spruce up your collection, head over to c-monkeys.com. Our buddy Todd Mason will hook you up with some great stuff. They have a calendar out. They've got the new Invisible Goldfish, which looks absolutely fantastic. And I'm going to click on that to see what comes with that. Um, Looks like you get a bowl and you get a little tree that goes underneath so it's it's kind of like your own little small aquarium looks really cool uh definitely check that out there's also some postcards and some starter kits and there is a uh executive supersize suite which is absolutely huge i mean you could really make a nation of sea monkeys if you wanted um tons of great stuff over there some t-shirts and mugs and all that so check them out c-monkeys.com also, uh, if you need some scary monsters back issues or you want to subscribe or order the newest one, mymoviemonsters.com is the place to go. 
Uh, Scary Monsters 125 is shipping right now. It should be out in stores. If it's not already, it will be there soon. It is the Heinland Bradbury Burrows and Block issue. Fantastic cover by Scott Jackson. And there is tons of great articles in there, great photos. Uh, you definitely don't want to miss out. And if you don't want to miss out on the magazine, on MyMovieMonsters.com, it gives you a, a little button where you could subscribe. So that way you don't miss an issue. Just in case your store stops selling them or uh, they get backlogged or something. You never know what's going to happen in these crazy times. But definitely check them out. Also, man, we have a great site on YouTube. And it's starting to blow up a little bit, which is really great news for us. It's the House of the Unusual uh, site on YouTube. Eddie and Chuck put out some great, great videos on uh, magic. And, you know, they're not long. They're anywhere from four to six minutes, maybe a little bit shorter, maybe a little bit uh, longer. But you, you definitely don't want to miss out. They, they usually do a few videos a week, and there's always something new and exciting. So if you got a few minutes, check them out. The videos, you know, if you're on your lunch break or something, you could watch a real quick video subscribe to our channel and you know like the videos if you got any questions on any of the videos you know drop a line in the uh the comments and we'll get back to you and also we have a awesome website our flagship station houseoftheunusual.com great forum site there uh, posting some great stuff i actually snagged up some free items by our buddy todd machin that was giving them away yesterday so i told him i have to uh to brag on eddie about that some old um uh, mail order novelties i said so i'll start at you know kind of building up my collection a little bit so definitely when those come out i will post them up on the website the individual pictures of them and uh a huge thank you to our buddy todd machin out there for uh for hooking the brother up with that stuff man so that's all we got you know on, on that front so definitely check out those sites they're all friends of the podcast friends of ours and uh, we have a, a nice little community that we're starting to build here. And, you know, we just help each other out and have a good time, help our collections, our interests, and our, our knowledge grow about all things, you know, pop culture and and fun, I guess. <laughs> what do you think, Eddie? I mean, I'm telling you, I agree with you. I mean, I know Todd has been working on a few little new items, which is really exciting. I mean, I I know I think I know what you're probably getting. Uh, he sent me the template for the uh, paperwork on it that he was working on, and that's really exciting. I am glad to hear that. And yes, Joe, uh, there's nothing but mail order and what it brought to us. And, you know, having said that, I wanted to ask one of the topics I wanted to discuss with you today would be the topic of what do you think was the most influential uh, sci-fi or science uh movie or or show tv show that influenced most of the kids and and stuff during that time i mean i know you probably because you were born after that time you really don't might you know quite know but i want to feel like when you were growing up what was your most influential uh tv show that made you kind of become or, or gravitate so through a certain area in your life you know oh man i i don't know because there were so many great TV shows, you know, growing up in the 80s and especially the early 90s, um, man, between Saturday morning cartoons and just your daily cartoons that, you know, we watched before school to even when you got off of school, starting at like three o'clock anywhere to 
gosh, eight, nine o'clock, there was nothing but TV shows at the time. And there was all good stuff, too. You would have a mixture of cartoons, live action stuff. And, you know, it was just great. There was this that moment of especially in the early 90s, mid 90s, where a guy like me who who was into comic books at the time, you know, you had the X-Men uh, TV show. You had Spider-Man. You had Fantastic Four, Iron Man, all all really started blowing up and they did a great job with it um, with the, uh, the animation, the soundtrack and the voiceovers, everything was great. But you know, a lot of that stuff even started back in the the eighties with the Saturday morning cartoons when they started, they were getting some of the, you know, people that were imitating voices. Sometimes you'd even get the, the real celebrity to do the voice for it. Um, But Man, that, that, that's a tough question because I used to watch so much uh, TV shows and there was a lot of them that that kind of like influenced me. You know, I was a huge, uh, um, uh, what's it called, uh, Married with Children fan. There was Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, uh, Family Matters, Seinfeld, you know, all those, those type of live action ones. And even, you know, I remember Friday nights, you know, when I was younger, you'd have uh, TGIF. I can't remember what channel that was on, but they would play all the all these great shows on Friday nights. And then you also had, I think it came on later that night on Fridays, was the X-Files, which was, I mean, at the time it was a groundbreaking show. And, you know, even still to this day, there's people that go back and watch it and it's still, um, you know, a great show and, and something that really jolts people's minds to get them to start thinking. And, you know, a lot of people say that shows more um, fact than fantasy. And I guess there, there could be an argument for that, but, you know, that was another show that I, I grew up on was very influential. So there, there was just a whole bunch of uh, stuff at the time. You could almost name anything that was going on. Even the tales from the crypt that came out on the, uh, the HBO, that live action one, it was kind of like a comedy horror uh, mixture. I, I grew up on that. Tales from the dark side at night. Just <laughs> there was just tons of stuff, man. Yeah. What about you? You know what you're saying. I, it just kind of made me realize the difference between the 80s and 70s. In the 70s, well, here's the thing. I would see. Let's just say before I even say that, in the 80s, where you were growing up, uh, shows like Tales from the Crypt and Tales from the Dark Side would be a show that would make a person like horror and you know gravitate towards the monsters and stuff like that. Um, in my time, back in the 70s, I, I, as you were talking and saying all the varieties of shows you listen to, in the 70s, you kind of had one theme among many shows. Like, say, for example, Lost in Space dealt with space and robots and, you know, monsters from outer space and aliens. And then you had Battlestar Galactica, Star Trek. Uh, you had Superman on, you know, Batman and Robin. Uh, they were always like the superhero, or, but most of all, the biggest influencers or influencers in my time, I think, would be like Lost in Space and also, um, you know, Star Trek. Now, a lot of the things that also they did was even in the cartoons you had from Bugs Bunny, you always had him going out and, you know, with the space modulator and uh, not the face, uh, Marvin the Martian. You had a lot to do with him and that particular, uh, you know, show. I mean, that it's gravitated towards the space and all that stuff. And no matter how much you look at it, uh, I think the difference between the 70s and 80s is that in the 70s, 
the show make you like a certain thing. Like, for example, the topic I like were robots and space stuff, planets, UFOs. And I think all the cartoons from Felix the Cat to Lost, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Like they had a general theme among all the shows that were very similar to make a person like a certain aspect. Um, in the 80s, you had, like you said, Married with Children. You had all those individual shows and all those individual shows that you had were a different variety of stuff. Some were, you know, fun, funny. Some were family oriented, but none of them really led you to do a particular collection or gravitate to something. Like, for example, Lost in Space, any kid that saw Lost in Space wanted to be like Will Robinson. They wanted to have their own robot and they wanted a laser pistol. Anybody who saw Star Trek, they had the phaser. So there was always t things and toys that make you gravitate. In the 80s, uh, the variety was a lot, but there were a few things like, let's say, for example, Masters of the Universe. I remember that when I was about 15, 16, when I started coming out. Uh, you know, you, you would want to collect Masters, and it was kind of like the theme. But in the shows in the early 70s that I, I wrote in, they all had one basis, and it was space and travel and planets. So that's why I think uh, my love for UFO, for Bigfoot, for monsters, and everything came from those themes. So I, I think my biggest influencer was Lost in Space. You know, if, if I'm looking back, I, I'd really have to say, you know, although there was a lot of influences, probably the biggest one was uh, G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, the, uh, the TV series that started in 83. And I, I really you know, gravitate, I would even wake up on, on school days, you know, I think it was like at 6am, I'd wake up to see, uh, I think it was He-Man, Masters of the Universe was on at 6, and then 6.30 was G.I. Joe, and then that left me enough time to start getting ready for school at 7 to be out the door at, at 7.45, but, you know, those cartoons played a big role, especially G.I. Joe, because I was, you know, in the, in the 80s, I was really big into going outside and playing army. I had all the fake guns, the camouflage uniforms. I had pretty much the only toys I really played with were GI Joes. And, you know, I, I had a ton of them and I still do to this day collect them. I, I have a huge GI Joe collection so, uh, along with, with He-Man as well. But GI Joe really influenced me because I would go, I would watch the cartoon I would go out and I would, I would go outside and play war or play GI Joe. And then, you know, in the evenings, I'd watch some of those old war shows that were on um, Kelly's Heroes, Dirty Dozen, um, Born on the Fourth of July, stuff like that. And then I'd watch the G.I. Joe in the morning and then play G.I. Joe all day, go outside, you know, play G.I. Joe or play war. And then as I got older, you know, into the, like the, the early mid 90s, you know, I was a little bit too older to be playing with fake guns and all that. Why well, I really got into kind of camping in the outdoors and playing paintball and all that because it was still kind of along that that way and then it eventually you know transitioned into you know really still sticking with that stuff of liking everything that's military is you know going into the military at 17 and spend the nine years in there and that was kind of so i, I would have to say you know gi joe out of anything uh the cartoon w was my biggest you know, influence and even to still to this day, because I still catch the cartoon, you know, here and there. I, I have the whole box set. I love watching it. I, I've read all the comic books. I love the lore of it. The, 
the um the figures i think larry hama at that time was way ahead of his time and what he was writing and what he was uh, illustrating and all that and in this this thing that he developed um i'm not so much of a fan of the newer stuff he's doing with him but that older stuff it, it was absolutely gold the stories are fantastic the artwork was great uh, the TV shows, they're, they're a little bit cheesy, but some of them still hold up to this day. And, you know, as a as a young kid, you know, that stuck with you, you know, knowing is half the battle. And although it's a cheesy kind of cartoon thing, you know, it, it it's something that transitions into to real life. Uh, so I'd have to say that that's definitely one of the things that that influenced me the most, uh, you know, whether it be a TV show or movie. Well, they also did have a. um a movie i can't remember what year it was i believe it was 86 or 80 yeah 87 um so i've carried that my whole life and like i said i still collect gi joe um the original series uh toys the figures and and vehicles and all that even though that stuff's getting so hard to find and even some masters of the universe stuff you know because that was another one i i grew up with at the time but it wasn't as big of an influence I didn't want to be a master of, of the universe. <laughs> so, you know, uh, Joe, it's funny that you said that because I remember also my kids growing up in the eighties, I forgot about the power Rangers and all that stuff. You know, I, I was talking to Jim, my buddy, Jim, and Jim was saying that he was going to make a list of also obscure, obscure films that have very little credit, but were very good films. And he was mentioning a couple of sci-fi films in, in that genre. And I said to him, make me the list. Maybe it'll be a topic that we can discuss in one of the upcoming shows. And that's why I kind of I wanted to start that because one of the things that I remember um, and, you know, getting, like you're saying, how much those sh- shows influenced us. I, I, where did you start getting influenced towards the liking of UFOs? Because I know you said you had worked for MUFON and you were investigated for them. So where, uh, since you did grow up with G.I. Joe and all that stuff, where did you start gravitating towards the ufo stuff like when did you start liking that particular subject you know when i was young i was never really into bigfoot or ufos or anything like that i kind of bottom of course i've seen a few documentaries here and there but it was nothing that was really you know kind of interested me um not until i had my own sighting a few years ago is when i i really got interested in it and it's not so much of like that I'm that I'm interested in it. You know, it's not something, you know, if, if I see an article online or something, half the time I won't even I won't even read it because most of the stuff's garbage anyways. But it, it was more of I wanted to kind of know what was, you know, what these things were, what was out there. I wanted to hear other people's, you know, stories. So after I had my own sighting, that's when I got involved with uh with MUFON and I had a few more sightings and I was able to talk to people, investigate some cases and they were interesting. Uh, some of them, some of them, you know, they weren't. Um, but there's just so much disinformation, so much disingenuous people out there and so much, you know, just garbage that's in, in the UFO community that it's, it's, it's really nothing that I, I kind of gravitate to anymore or really did too much. I like reading a lot of like the older stuff from like the, say like the forties and fifties, even the sixties, uh, like newspaper clippings or like old stuff from Stanton Freeman, kind of like when the whole UFO 
uh, thing was, was coming of age, I guess, where people were really looking into it, I guess, you know, after Roswell or whatnot. Um, but, you know, aside from that, it's not something that, that I really, you know, get into. Cause like I said, there's just, there's too much out there. There's too much disinformation, disingenuous people. There's, you know, these UFO people that are just out there trying to make a buck and, you don't know if their stories are, are real or not. Now, if I know it's somebody that's that's credible, you know, researcher, I may, you know, read an article by them or read one of their I've you know read one of their books. I've read several books on, on UFOs, and you know, some were interesting, some were just very very dry. But I kind of like reading more into like you know different conspiracies and all that, which so you know the UFO subject does fall into that as well, but. That's kind of more where I, I gravitate to. You know, it's kind of funny that you're saying that because we, I was just reminding you were reminding me, actually, as we were talking now. Do you remember when we, we read an article a while back? I think it was probably a, a few episodes back, probably a couple of months ago that we had mentioned that it came out in the Los Angeles Times or Los Angeles paper, whatever it was. That they had seen a uh, some guy with a jetpack three hundred. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, they actually came out. They found out what it was. It was actually a a, a kite. And the funny thing about it is that I remember seeing that kite about a year and a half ago. On, I saw it. I believe it was what was the name of the show uh, on television or something. And then I looked it up on on YouTube, and I wanted to purchase it. It's actually like a remote control kite, but it's it's shaped like Superman. And they, it would fly all around like Rocket Man or something. It was phenomenal. And I think that's what they saw flying and the airplane pilot mistaking it for a jetpack. Because, of course, it brought an investigation about, you know. You know, and, and to me, that's to me, that sounds kind of uh, I'd have to call BS on that because there's you have an airline pilot. He's going to know the difference between something that, that could be a, a guy with a rocket pack on or a kite. It, See, well, you know, it's stuff like that. That's like saying, oh, I seen a UFO and then someone's like, oh, that was swamp well, gas or that was a weather balloon. I got to find the link for you, Joe, because it actually is shaped like a man, a man with a helmet on or something like that. No, it wasn't Superman. It was something that he was flying around. That I said, I got to get that. It was like $430. It's about six foot and six and a half feet tall. It's shaped like a man. It's not shaped like a kite at all. It has a propeller like between his legs in the bottom part or something. But yeah. if, you, if you were to see it, I, I could see what you're saying, but I can also see where it would be that because the only thing I have with the jetpack is when the height it was flying in. We have jetpacks, but you know, we know what they fly a couple of hundred feet, but I don't know, 3,000 feet in the air. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and that's the only reason I was saying, you know, that's kind of odd. Um, with what I've read, with what I've read dealing with, uh, you know, that science principle of uh, jetpacks. And, and in fact, I believe I uh, used to, not I believe, I don't, I did. I used to sell the instructions or the plans on how to build one um, <laughs> years ago. You remember the story about the guy who purchased it from me? And after yeah. he purchased it from me, he goes, I want my money back. He goes, I can't build that. And I was like, uh, well, it takes about a million dollars to build. But I mean, I sold it to you for information purposes only. I didn't expect you to go and try to build one, you know. <laughs> but there's, I guess there's everybody. You're always going to find a character out there, you know. But Joe. And you're, I'm looking at the picture of, you know, where they were talking about Jetpack Man of Los Angeles Airport solved that last. And 
you know, I'm looking at some of those balloons and yeah, maybe you could, but I, you know, I, I don't know. That would, that would be really hard. I, I would be hard pressed to be a, a pilot and not know the, the difference, but that that's just what I think. I mean, they, it could be, you know, I mean, you, you never know. Well, the thing about this, the, like, again, if you look at the, at the uh, aeronautics things and, in any scientific paper and stuff, the thing is for a person to be able to breathe at that height, it would be kind of very hard, even with a, I mean, I guess if you have apparatuses, of course, or a tank, but you're out there with a jetpack and, and exactly what type of energy would that jetpack use? I mean, the one that the Army or you Air Force, again, built back in the 40s or 50s, only gave you 30 seconds or three minutes of flight time. So you got to really wonder what type of, I mean, to be able to fly 3,000 feet in the air, uh, technology like that that the government wouldn't know. I mean, I mean, it's, everything's possible, Joe. I do understand. Well, yeah, it, yeah, it definitely could have been, you know, mis- something misidentified or not. But, uh, you know, y- you never know. I, you know, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see what the exact picture is that they're saying that this person's seen because they showed one of, like, Jack Skellington. Well, obviously, you could tell that's, a balloon or a kite or something and not a, a person. So I'd like to see the one that they were actually, uh, actually saying that this is what they saw. Yeah. Well, uh, the one you're looking at right now, this draw a picture of it. I need to find the actual, uh, site that I had, or I need to find not the site itself, but I need to find, um, what article I had. Cause I remember I wanted to send away for it. And you had two options. You can get it for like $200 where you had to make it. And it was it was not an inflatable uh, person or anything. It was actually made, I think, of styrofoam. And Whoop, what was that? That's interesting. I was Uh-oh. trying to play the video for the... Uh... Oh, I thought it was an alien. I thought for a second, I said, oh, Joe. <laughs> I was trying to play the video videos. of the jetpack, man. But I don't know. I don't know what the heck it went to. But I... I the pig, the picture Joe, that they were kind of showing looked real blurry, so you couldn't really, Joe, you couldn't really tell. I think what just happened, Joe, is you got contacted. You see, you're not supposed to be looking at top secret stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna see if I can pull it up on on YouTube. Jetpack man of uh... jet. It, it, I know it. It was a very fascinating um. Toy. Yeah, I, mean, I said when I saw that, I said I gotta get this man because they were flying and it will fly up and down and all, and it was beautiful, man. And it will go like a couple of hundred feet away, and uh, so I can I, I can tell you this much: anybody who sees that in broad daylight is going to confuse it for a man because it's shaped like a human, you know, like it's it was really super cool, and I thought it was one of the greatest. Toys. This was about three or four years ago uh, when I I saw this toy. I, I, Again, I never did order it. I always thought about it. I, I, in fact, the other day I was thinking about it. I said, man, if I can find that, I'd like to get that. It would be fascinating to take, you know, and play around stuff. But you know what, Joe? See, I'm, I'm watching the video, and it, I, I don't know what it It almost looks like a person, but I'd like to see what they're saying it is because they're saying it's a helium balloon. And for a no. test, that thing's moving, it's definitely not a helium balloon. No, no, it's not a helium balloon. What it is, is a, it's like I said, uh, you ever seen those stand-ups when you go to comic book stores and stuff that they have the stand-ups made of cardboard and stuff? It's yeah. kind of like that, but it's made of the, uh, um, not styrofoam, but the architectural boards 
you know, the, the you go to a Staples or something. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the Jack Skellington one that they're showing, but I'd like to see the one that they're saying is this actual because that's obviously not it. it, it you can obviously see it looks like a person with a uh, a jetpack. Well, I was gonna say the one that I remember seeing. I, I don't now. I, I said it was Superman. I don't remember a hundred percent, but I'm almost positive it kind of looked like um, he had a helmet on. Uh, what I meant to say by Superman, you know, not not the Superman character itself, but I'm saying that it flew around like Superman. Uh, but it had a jetpack. It had a. I'm trying to remember. There used to be back in the in the 70s uh, a guy uh, character like GI Joe, but it was called Bullet Man, the human bullet, and, and you would have a string and it it'd swing right across the string. Uh, it had a helmet kind of like that, or a Buck Rogers. Let's say that's what I'm the word I'm trying to look for. Buck Rogers look alike. Where yes, I'm, to... I'm I'm looking at a uh, a video here from. Uh out in Los Angeles uh, news, and they're saying it's this Jack Skellington balloon kite thing, and it looks... The comments are like are saying this looks nothing like what they're, they're showing. <laughs> well, you, you know what? This is a funny story. Back in the early 80s, probably 1983, 84, I had a friend of mine who was a police officer, and in my job, we were talking and discussing one time, you know, UFOs and all this stuff, and he told me that one day he went to the complex where he had a condo and they went up to the roof and they were having a barbecue up in the roof area. Right. And it was like a really nice area with, you know, what I'm saying roof, it's like a rooftop that you can do barbecues and stuff in the building he was in. And he said he got a black, a black Batman kite that was about seven feet in diameter. And he said he attached little lights to it because it was dark. And they were flying it on the rooftop. And, you know, no big deal, whatever, you know. And uh, so, you know, he, he they go home the night. They put it in for the night. And about uh, two or three days later, he's on patrol. And he said that there were some people in town talking about the weird black, black flying saucer they saw two nights before. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You can accidentally cause somebody to see something and say that's not normal that's a flying saucer no yeah and that's how a lot of times legendary flying saucer sightings have happened uh if you look at some of the original photographs which i'm sure which one i'm talking about there's one that they're looking kind of like out towards the they're like behind a gate or something there's a group of people looking and then you see like a flying saucer and it reads like a giant m or w upside down in the flying saucer Mm-hmm. that's actually an upside down frisbee or something like that, or a plate that they superimposed on that. And that's one of the, the most sought, not sought, but you could see that picture almost in every UFO book out there. And then there was another one that they actually threw a hat into the air. And the hat, I'm talking about those um, wicker hats, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's a flying saucer. And, and most flying saucers that you see from the seventies and sixties, Especially, there's one that you, it's very hard to see the flying saucer, very pixelated. And then when you blow it up, you can see that there's an actual string holding it up. So it's very easy to cause or to create a fake flying saucer photograph. Um, other than just creating a fake photograph, you can also have things like, okay, for 
Now the government came out and they're showing that there's certain things that they chased and objects. But here's the other question to that. Why isn't it clear? And we said this before in our show. Why is it that every time, even the government with the high tech that they have, I mean, come on, you're going to tell me that the U.S. Navy with their high, they, they say that from space, I believe they said, I read in a popular science about a year ago, that they had the capability of reading a postage stamp from space. That's how clear their technology is. That everything we're seeing, uh, it, it's like, you know, we're seeing this UFOs that the army chased, the jet fighters were chasing, and all you see is like a blurry black speck. There's got to be something there, you know? Yeah, they're not going to tell us what's or show us what it really is. I We've said that before on previous podcasts that they're not going to, you know, they're doctoring the video to make it, you know, more blurry so we don't actually see what it is. So if, if P, there's still people out there that trust the, the government and trust them to give us you know, proper UFO information, then, hey, I got a, I got a bridge to sell you. Get a hold of me. <laughs> you know? is that, if, if, uh, well, I want to tell you, if that bridge you're selling is the uh, Brooklyn one, I think Todd is interested, so let him know. Yeah, it's at the House of the Unusual site. So. <laughs> yeah, know, they're never going to give us, any, they're never going to give us anything. You know, we, we talked before, you know, even before they uh, they were supposed to give us this UFO report and all that, you know, we said it wasn't going to be anything. And, you know, of course, it was a whole, you know, nothing burger that everyone waited for. And, you know, it was absolutely nothing. And we knew it was, you know, anybody that's been, you know, studying UFOs or interested in it for a while knows that they're not going to give us anything, you know, give us anything good at least. Well, the, the idea is, I, I guess sometimes they use it to deviate people from what they're actually doing. Because if you cause a, a UFO stir, everybody's going to be thinking UFO, and they're not going to look at black projects they're working on. That's one way. The other thing is uh, just, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know the purpose behind, but I do know that by making pictures blurry like that and stuff, it gives so much abilities for people out there to create fake uh, shots because in, I, I've never seen in my entire life whether from an individual taken or from a you know a, a huge company or the Air Force one single photograph that is clear enough to see a UFO now if you remember there was one called um, I think I, I have it somewhere I don't know when I got it but Jim my buddy got it for me where it shows the Russians investigating a crashed UFO. And you can see the UFO in the distance and the Russian you know, soldiers going back and forth on it in black and white. Now, the interesting thing is when you look at the actual UFO, when you see the, the Russians standing next to it, it looks like the UFO is no bigger than seven feet in diameter. So somehow they're trying to make it look like it's like maybe 20 feet in diameter. And that's what it's saying, like in the video, that that's. But if you see them walking up and down, you can see that the video was obviously faked. Sometime, uh, the most I think the most intriguing UFO thing that we have um, is probably the bell, because uh, the bell has a lot to maybe more realistic stuff in it, you know, that people would believe or more scientific evidence that it was possible. But one thing I want to tell you though, a way back in the day. When I one of my favorite ads that I ran, it was probably uh, 
the best ad I ever ran was called Actual UFO Blueprints. And I ran that in Popular Science and Mechanics, and I got hundreds of orders for it. And what I, now I don't know if what probably generated the hundreds of orders was the free work, because it said actual UFO, uh, actual UFO Blueprints free with order, or the actual UFO Blueprints. One of the two drew a big crowd, right? So what happened I went to the the public library in Newark, New Jersey, and they have a U.S. patents and uh, copyrights office on that library where you can get copies and stuff. And I found about 27 original U.S. patents that were issued to Lockheed Corporation, to different companies that actually had some type of saucer technology or actually had a flying saucer patent that they had come up with and some dated to 1942 to 1947 um the thing that was interesting about that i mean I, other than i got a huge ticket for parking in front of the library that <laughs> i didn't know i could leave that i'll never forget because i paid dearly it was almost a hundred dollars for that ticket um i could tell you i obtained quite a few copies that i still have and back in those days when you made the copies uh you had those microfish that you had the big machine and then you printed it and it came out like that thermal paper. Yeah. Over the years it starts fading. But what I did is when I, I did that, I actually photocopied that so it wouldn't, because I knew the originals would start fading. To my surprise, most of the originals still are pretty intact. They haven't faded since. But uh, we're talking 1989 probably when I did this. No, no, I mean, 80. Well, no, wait a second. That was 89. Yeah, it, it was an early time when I was putting out the ad. I, 89, 90, 91, around that era. But um, that tells you there's a lot of technology that the government has either experimented with or has concerning UFOs. And everybody knows the error car from Canada. Remember the one that's supposed to take off, but it only goes off like 15, 20 inches from the ground? Like yeah. A, like a saucer. They spend millions on that. I think if the correct name for it, I think it's the Avo car, Avo or some AVO or AVRO. Uh, then there was another one that came out one time in a popular mechanics magazine that was supposed to be a flying saucer that was, I think, um, flown by the U.S. Army, if I'm correct, and it was supposed to reach heights of three or 30,000 feet in the air and mock something. And you can see it's like a red flying saucer, and it shows... Um, it's a really beautiful looking saucer and there's a photograph not of the actual saucer but of the of supposedly the artist render of what it was supposed to look like but there's a story in popular mechanics for that yeah i believe that a lot of the saucers we have are probably experimental vehicles that we've had um the bell like you said there is enough evidence that the bell existed and enough people have seen it and everybody knows Germany had this super duper technology advanced beyond all of us. And I mean, if you go back, let's go at, at Robert Houdin, the famous magician that Houdini got his name from. In 1865, Robert Houdin, one of his uh, automatons he made was Antonio Diavello, I think it is, or Diablo, which is a little guy about three feet, 36 inches in the, uh, tall. And he gets on a trapeze and he moves and it's all clockwork stuff. Not most of it, because I think I heard somebody told me, Dave, 
mentioned to me that he believes they use strings and stuff to make some of the movements for the, you know, the automaton. But what I'm saying is if in 1865, 1860s, they had the technology to make the Turk, you know, the Turk that plays checkers. Yeah. Uh, the robot, they had to make all those automatons, automatons, whatever. And then you're going fast forward to today's modern day and age. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of years to really grow in technology and science, especially from the time of Tesla. So I believe the government would have had the capability in the mid 40s or early 40s to build a flying saucer if they wanted to. That's what I think because of the amount of stuff that they had. Now, I'm not saying a flying saucer that uses jet fuel, but I'm sure they could have built something that would hover. Uh, and, and I, you know, according to the patents that I have, there's quite a few of them that describe such vehicles. Uh, so the Bell, to me, I'm almost 100% sure it existed. What did the Germans do with it? Was it taken away by the United States government? Like, old when, you know, you know how after Germany fell... We went over there and grabbed all their scientists and stuff. And when we grabbed the scientists in Japan that were so advanced, that's when Japan started making those robots because most of the scientists and engineers that were building bombs started making robots. That's why the robots from the 1950s are so sought after and they cost so much money because of how pre the precision they were made was, you know, I mean, fantastic. It was like super great. It wasn't a cheap toy like they do today. So that's one of the things why I think that maybe either we took that technology and hit it some way, somewhere, so in some hangar somewhere. I wouldn't be surprised that the United States has the original bell. That's what I'm yeah, saying. They probably, they probably do. I think they took a lot of those, those scientists from Operation Paperclip and, you know, a lot of that, I think a lot of that paperwork came with them, you know, on the, the UFOs and the Nazi bell and the um the battle ufos that they were you know making that that were failed at that time but i you know they were still ahead of their time i think they they brought a lot of that paperwork over here and i kind of think that's when you know we kind of had two different space agencies going on the one that the public saw you know um jpl and nasa and then you had the the secret space program where, you know, all the, the black money went and that's the stuff that we didn't see. And I think that's the one that's probably hundreds of years ahead of what's being shown to the public now for whatever reason. But, um, well, there, there's it, it's, it's definitely interesting to think about, you know, what all could be out there that we don't know about. There, there's an episode of people that actually worked in Area 51. And, you know, this is a legitimate uh, engineers, you know, they're in their 60s now and stuff. And they were saying on TV, I think it was a history channel, they were saying that when they first, uh, you know, before Area 51 became infamous for what it was, they said that they were able to get a Russian spy plane. I forget which one it was that somehow was a little more advanced than the ones we had here. And they took it apart and, you know, figure out how it worked and stuff. So there's a possibility also that that spur legends of you know, we have flying saucers. My thing is, I find it kind of hard to accept flying saucers. See, I I know and I love flying saucers. I do believe flying saucers exist, but I, it's hard for me to think of them as outwardly. 
You know what I'm saying? Like I, I see it more like some type of black project or some type of country having them, but I don't really think they come from out of space. That's that's where my 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 thing is, my belief in that is. Because technology has existed for years and so many people out there go and they see a strange thing in the sky. And now with what we have with so many, um, uh, you know, everybody has now access to drones and there's some drones that go for $5,000 that are really super cool. And if you see some weird thing flying up in the air in the middle of the night somewhere, you're going to say, that's not normal. That's got to be a UFO. And, you know, then they tell their friend, their friend tells the other friend. And then that same UFO that was a drone turns into another person telling you it adopted me while I was sleeping. Look at my burn mark in my hand. And I mean, that's how legends grow. I am yeah. Like, oh, yeah. You of all people with your investigations have noticed that. Be, I mean, for right there in front of you instead of me, who I just heard about it. But you you've been there. You've been a witness to a lot of those things. And um I think, again, I go one of the biggest or the two biggest legends that started in my my career, not my career, but in my investigation since I was young that I read about are the Philadelphia experiment where it says that the ship had time travel, where the Eldridge in, I think it was Delaware, time traveled to fit it. And then when it came back, all the bodies were embedded into the hull of the ship and the guy who started that, Carlos Allende or Allende, which I believe was the investigator, supposedly he took one of those famous UFO books from the 50s and he started writing on the side of the book. And some guy in the History Channel went to investigate who this guy, Carlos Allende, was. And apparently he was able to track him down as a fake. And what happened was that he mailed this book to somebody at NASA who happened to be one of those prominent figures on UFOs and stuff. And behold, the Philadelphia experiment came out. The time travel deal came out and they actually made about five movies based on that idea of not, not on the idea based on the Philadelphia experiment. Then the other one that I can remember in my life is, and I know this because Philip Morris from Morris costumes, not, not only that has, I mean, I know the guy, I know his son, and he went on to explain how the Patterson film was made because he says he, he sold the Bigfoot costume to that guy. I forgot his name who walked and then he looked backwards and it became the world famous Bigfoot sighting film, which they called the Bigfoot film that the clip alone, I think they gave the widow like a million dollars for this 30 second clip. So, you know, those are legends, but just like the Philadelphia experiment. And then the other one is the Mothman. The, the States Army or I forgot who, Marines, uh, somewhere in Jersey were dropping parachuters with night vision goggles. There's some campers. They look at the night vision goggles with like, they look like, you know, glowing in the dark eyes because they have these red eyes. And all of a sudden they see the parachute. Oh, it's a Mothman, a man with wings. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, the, and that became another famous legend. And, and I tell you this because the reason I found I read more into that legend and how it started was because there is, um, you know, now with today's day and age, especially with the Internet, there's a lot of companies that put monthly subscription boxes where you can order subscriptions to whatever you like it. You know, and there's one called Monsterology or 
something like that. And one day I'm watching a review, an unboxing on YouTube, and somebody ordered the one. And when they opened it, it had stuff about the Mothman inside. And I'm like, man, I got to get that. You know, you know how I am with that mail order stuff. So I, I called the company and they said they had sold out. They had none left. So I'm like, man. So then what I did is I looked at the video and every item in there, I went on Amazon or eBay and purchased it. So, you know, I, I didn't get the unboxing of it, but I was able to get the articles. And when I read the book about the Mothman, which cost me about $35 almost, I mean, I was like, it was it would have been cheaper <laughs> subscribing to the box, you know? Yeah. But um, <laughs> I was reading it and I'm like, this is, in fact, the whole book is filled with sketches of sightings. There's no pictures of anything. And the only thing that they could say, and that's where the guy said that, you know, that basically that could have been what happened, that when in the middle of the night, you're seeing parachutes coming down, a parachute is going to come, the person lands, the parachute starts coming down behind them. Uh, somebody in the middle of the night sees that, they don't know what they're seeing. They're seeing a weird shadow, and now they have glowing red eyes. Perfect, perfect beginnings of a legend, you know? Oh, absolutely. And, and okay, I would say, you know what, Joe? Okay, Bigfoot, Sasquatch. But if you look at the amount of legends there is, every state, every single state in the country and other countries have a monster. New Jersey has the New Jersey Devil. There's the Massachusetts. I forget the name of the man. But there's like 50 or 60 different monsters <laughs> that somebody has sighted or seen. And, and, and then so, again, it comes like what of that? Is, how much of that is real? How much of that had been somebody's imaginative uh, imagination? So when you get down to the basics, Joe, I guess it gets down to where you were like, okay, is this readable? Is this topic or this article uh, that came out, is it even worth reading? Or is it just a bunch of hogwash, you know? And, yeah, and I think a lot of people, a lot of things throughout history, you know, leg, urban legends, all that, it's a lot of it, maybe 90 or more percent of it is things that are misidentified and then um you know the story spread to one person to another to another and then it blows up but i think there still is you know there might be you know maybe a small percentage out there of stuff that's that that could be true um you know we we don't know what it is um you, you know i always like to keep an open mind unless somebody could give me proof that it's not true so it's not you know i always say i i don't you know, like kind of like UFOs or, you know, if someone says, well, do you believe they're from outer space or from another world? Well, I, I believe it and I don't. I, I really don't have an opinion on it. I believe it and I don't believe it. You know, it, can you show me proof that they're from another world or can you disprove that they're from another world? And the answer is no to each of them. So until then, I'd like to remain in the middle, keep an open mind and, you know, investigate both sides. What I really don't like is people say, oh, no, you know. Like, you know, there's no such thing as the, as a Jersey Devil that just can't exist. Well, well, give me a reason, give me proof why it can't exist. And, and people usually can't. They just say, well, because you know, mo monsters, you know, don't exist. Well, give me proof that it's a monster. Nobody said it's a, you know, it, it could be an unidentified animal or something. Give me proof of what it is. Or you know, when people say, oh, well, UFOs don't exist. Now, well, you know, then I say, well, give me. You know what? First, I ask him. Well, well, what's a UFO? Unidentified flying object. Well, that that could be anything. I could throw something through the air, and if you can't identify it, it's a UFO. So 
they say, oh, little green men from outer, little green men from outer space, and you know this well, and that. Well, prove to me that they don't exist. Well, Joe, what's the new name that they use? They don't use UFOs anymore. They use now what's the government using? Unidentified aerial phenomenon, UAP. UAP is right. So yeah, now you know, the only reason, and the only reason that they use that is because there's that they switch to it. Just the government switched to it is because. They were getting so many Freedom of Information Act requests on UFOs, unidentified flying objects, that they changed it to UAP. That way, when those UFO requests would come in, they could deny them because it's or in that where they could say there's no information on this because there's no UFOs. Well, if people knew that it was called the government called them UAPs, then you would be able to get that information. That's the only reason they changed it. Well, I like the best thing is when you order those information because, you know, there is a lot of people don't know that you can go on. The, there's a, a site called the Black yeah. or blackvault.org or something where you can just basically download almost every UFO uh, project blue book file and you can just print that out of your computer, which is so funny. Oh, yeah. He has stuff there. I can't remember, his last name's Greenwald that that runs it. He's been running it for years. But, yeah, you could find. But the thing is there. that it's sponsored by the government. The government actually put up the site. No, and that that's not. No, he gets a lot of uh, Freedom of Information Act uh, stuff. It's not a government site. Which, like, which uh, is the government private. site? No, but there is a government site by the FBI that I remember reading about it in the paper and going to it for people that want it or the CIA. There's a government site that you can get the actual paperwork from the government and download it to your computer because I have it on my computer. I just don't remember. I don't know if it's CIA.com or, but there are, if you look it up, I mean, you can look it up on your computer right now and you put um, Project Blue Book and stuff like that and they come because, I mean, there are hundreds of pages of different things. And I'm like, what? But it was cool to have the site. But that tells you one thing, Joe. That's a good idea the way they changed it. But I like because the, the point I, I said about the site is anything you order, download from the site. You got like one sentence, half of the sentence is, is, and then the rest is all blacked out, you know? Yeah, I, I would definitely, if you're, you're somebody researching UFOs and all that, I'd definitely be wary of, of government sites because a lot of it could be disinformation, especially if you're dealing with the CIA, you know, it's probably disinformation, you know, look into reputable, you know, sites that are non-governmental and really you know, research what you're, you're looking at. Cause like I said, there's a lot of disinformation out there. There's a lot of people that are trying to, you know, put out fake stuff just so they can make money. So you really have to, like I said, you really have to watch, you know, stick with reputable people. And, you know, if you're new, if you're coming into it and you're, you're someone that's new to UFOs and cryptids and conspiracies and all that really research, the people that you're looking into and, and, you know, find out, you know, who they are, what they're about, because there, there's someone, you know, for a prime example is uh, the guy there. He was on ancient aliens. He was on Gaia TV and all that was David Wilcox. And he's a, you know, an absolute fraud, but he was portrayed as being someone for years that was, you know, in the know and knew all this stuff. And, you know, he's been outed the last few years. That's pretty much, a hack just trying to make money and a lot of people have you know come out against him and a few other people that he's connected with but here's somebody that 
you know, seem like they were a knowledgeable person, had all this insider information. And maybe they did at the time, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But, you know, now they're just they're putting out a lot of baloney for money. So you really have to, you know, watch these people. There, there's some really good ones out there like um, that that do conspiracies and UFOs, um, kind of like Clyde Lewis and Ryan Gable. Those are two really uh, good ones. And you could find those. Uh, I think Clyde Lewis is ground zero. He has a, a show. And then um, Ryan Gable is um, the secret teachings. And he has a, a radio show and a podcast. So it's a secret teachings.info. They're very reputable people, very trustworthy. And they, they've been around for a while. Then especially if you're looking into UFOs, you know, Richard Dolan's a very good um, researcher, him and uh, Jacques Vallée. Those are two people that you really want to, you know, find some books by and really kind of start there. If you're, you know, just getting into it or even if you've been in it for years, you know, those are a few names, different places that you could start with. Um, I would also, you know, you know, try out some different, you know, podcasts on UFOs and all that and see which ones you like. But, you know, you also have to do your, your, um, diligence. Yeah. Your due diligence with, with those as well. And, um, you know, it, it's all, it's all kind of like, a, it's all kind of like a big cat and mouse game. You know, you're, you're the cat, you're trying to catch the mouse and there's all these obstacles you know, in between and you have to overcome them to find, you know, your prize at the end. And there's tons of, information and disinformation and you have to make your way through it and like anybody that's been researching it or into it for a long time and that's just like with anything else you know you know you're going to be fooled you know here and there but you got to recover and keep researching because like even like us if you look into old actors or old movies you know there there's a lot of like false information out there that's been you know put down from one writer to another or one researcher to another without it ever being, you know, looked at. And then you find out that it's false. So, you know, it's tough. Exactly. Well, here's what I'm going to give. I'm going to give a couple of hints to people that do want to investigate uh, unusual stuff that like treasure. Well, the people that like treasure hunting, one of the things I did that I think a lot of people would enjoy is Go on Amazon, wherever, and try to get one of those magnets that lifts about 600 pounds. They go for about $20, $30. You tie it to a big, thick fishing line, and you throw it into some yeah. you know, ocean or whatever, <laughs> and see what you bring up. That's for treasure hunters. That's more fun than if you take one of those Geiger counters and you start looking through land, because you don't really know what to expect. You just go down and you bring weird things up. In fact, somebody just recently, not too long ago, I read in the paper thing was doing that and they bought up some rifles from uh, the civil war or something. Oh yeah. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was very cool. And the other thing is for people like, for example, Chuck that like ghost hunting and stuff like that, he made me laugh. We were talking about the other day and I'm like, wow, I wouldn't have even thought of that. And we were talking about night vision glasses where you said some of them, of course the army ones and, they cost thousands of dollars. Well, there's some that go for two, $300 that are legitimate night vision goggles. But you have to be careful because, you know, you can't look at it inside a light because it can hurt your eyes. It has to be pitch dark. And he goes, that will be kind of cool to go in the cemetery with it. I didn't. I would yeah. never have thought of that, you know? Yeah. Well, hey, we got less than a, a minute to go. And this is a, a great conversation on, you know, we started off with some TV shows and got into cryptids and all that. You never know where we're going to. Go here we're on we're all over the usual. place. 
Yeah, We're all over the place. But, you know, that's how our conversations go, man. We don't, you know, we've always said we don't really script anything or, you know, it's kind of like spur of the moment. What do we like talking about? It's just a, a sit-down conversation with us. So, you know, we'll catch us on, on your favorite platform every week. And we do come out every Thursday at midnight, the, the show's out. Or sometimes Eddie will put it out even earlier if he could. But, um, you know, thank you for everyone out there that listens to us, that supports us. Give us a, a good review on your whatever platform you listen to us and subscribe. And uh, check out all the sites that I mentioned at the uh, the top of the show. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. So good night. Take care. God bless. Good night.